All right. A lot of greeting, a lot of greeting. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family, whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus. There's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us we are all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also spread that love to one more person. As TJ said, we would, if you're a ministry partner, we would invite you to vote yes or no on the purchase of a land question, and you can put it in the jeans pocket uh, when we take the offering, or you can put it in the little wicker basket on the info table. The other thing, and I, this is not really good news for you guys, I know, this, is, this may be disappointing news, um, we're not packing up the chairs today. So, so your instinct when the last song finishes, you will like instinctively go for your chair and you've got to fight the instinct. Uh, we get to leave it up this week, but come back next week when I have an awesome Father's Day present for everybody. You will get to pick up your chair next week, but not this week. So today I want to start with a quote that I found and then I'm going to ask you a question about it. The quote is this. The word cross should be removed from our thoughts and eyes and ears. The mere mention of it is an offense to our citizens and to rational people everywhere. The word cross should be removed from our thoughts and eyes and ears. The mere mention of it is an offense to our citizens and to rational people everywhere. The final Jeopardy question is, who said that? Mm -hmm. The answer, someone at the 9.30 guessed Jesus, which is always a safe guess at church, but it was wrong. <laughs> someone at the 8.15 guessed Caesar, Julius Caesar, which is actually far closer. The correct answer is Cicero. If you know the old famous Roman orator and politician Cicero, Cicero said this, and Cicero lived 100 years before Jesus walked on the earth. So 100 years before Jesus walked on the earth, Cicero made that statement about a cross. Part of what I love about our church family is that we have people from all kinds of backgrounds. Some of us grew up in church. We had a really good experience with that. We put our faith in Christ when we were young. Others of us grew up in church, but it was not a great experience, and we're trying to figure out how not to throw Jesus out with the bathwater. Uh, others of us did not start to explore our faith or put our faith in Christ until our adult years. So we have all these different kinds of backgrounds. All of those have advantages and disadvantages. My story is that I grew up in church. It was a great church. Somewhere around the age of 12 or so, I put my faith in Christ. And uh, it, that's been a really good thing for me. I'm really grateful that's the story that, that I have. The downside, though, is that when you grow up in church, you can miss some really obvious stuff like some really obvious stuff about the Christian faith, like the cross, for instance. Christians can get so excited about how Jesus redeemed and rescued his followers on the cross that we can lose sight of the big picture. The big picture is that Cicero, a famous Roman politician, 
a hundred years before Jesus walked on the earth, was arguing crucifixions were so horrible they were beneath Roman society and should be banned. In fact, as you look throughout all of the literature of the Roman Empire, you don't find references to crucifixions. It was a vulgarity. No one would talk about it in polite company. It's mentioned once in a play, and it's slaves who are talking about it. In fact, in Pompeii, if you know that city that got kind of frozen in time by the volcano, we have found, well, not we, I wasn't there, but people have found graffiti. You know, like how we'll do graffiti in the, like the bathroom at the, at the rest stop? Again, not me, I don't do this, but people do. Um, we found, or they have found graffiti in Pompeii that says, I hope you die on a cross. So it was a vulgarity. It, it, it was a slur. It was an insult to somebody to even mention crucifixion. So I say all this as a backdrop to our final sermon in this series we've called Follow Me. This is Jesus' invitation to all of us. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me is an invitation to a relationship, and it's an invitation to a different way of life. J Jesus wants to have a living, a vibrant relationship with you, and he wants that relationship to change you, change the way you live your life, that you would live in a different, but different in a good way, sort of way. Follow me, Jesus says, leave behind the life that you know, and follow me. Today we want to look at one last follow me statement that Jesus made. It comes from Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, when he first said this, I imagine it made the disciples gasp. Because they don't hear that statement with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Christian theology about the cross. They hear it knowing that crucifixion is so vile a form of capital punishment that no one will talk about it in polite society. In fact, Romans are trying to get it outlawed. So what did Jesus mean when he made this provocative statement? If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What I want to do is I want to put this passage in its larger context, the passage Joe read for us earlier. We'll try to figure out what Jesus is getting at. The passage begins this way. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, this is not exactly polite dinner conversation, but Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for what's about to happen. And as the disciples heard this, that Jesus saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die at the hands of these people, they would have likely thought stoning or beheading. Those were the, the uh, more accepted forms of capital punishment in that, in that era. Peter took him aside, verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So Peter, who Jesus has said is going to be in charge of the Jesus movement uh, when he's gone, Peter says, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, a word with you? You've you got to quit being such an Eeyore about this whole thing. 
you're talking about death. It's so morbid. You're not going to die. You're Jesus, right? We're not going to let this happen. So how does Jesus respond to Peter's little impromptu performance review of him? Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Have you ever said that in a performance review? Probably good if you have not. You do not need to be a trained theologian to know that the expression, get behind me, Satan, is not a glowing endorsement. But what did Jesus mean by that? Why did Jesus say that to Peter? This verse is making it clear that Jesus is becoming emphatic that his impending death and his impending resurrection is not incidental to who he is. His death and resurrection is not even of secondary importance but that the death and resurrection of Jesus is primary. It's of primary importance in understanding who he is and why he came to earth and what God wants for you and for me. And in fact, when we suggest otherwise, as Peter has done, that that this is not of primary importance, that is to join in the work of Satan. Satan is the ancient serpent who tempted creation to rebel against God, who continues to tempt creation to rebel against God. So the point here being Jesus is not joking around on this one. And then he turns from Peter to all of the disciples and takes it a step further. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Have you ever either as like siblings or like in a work environment or whatever kind of sent one person in to try to negotiate with with like the the boss or the parent, but it doesn't work and it kind of backfires and things actually get worse before they get before they get better? That's what I kind of imagine the disciples feel like in this whole thing, because Peter's gone off to tell Jesus he needs to quit being so morbid about all this. And Jesus then turns back to them and says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. At which point they would have been like, shh, Peter, retreat, retreat. You're not making it better. Jesus does not talk about stoning. He does not talk about beheading. In fact, he goes right to the most feared form of death in that time and place. He said the C word. Don't tell Cicero but he said cross. Now, sometimes we will talk in our time and place about having a cross to bear. Have you ever heard that expression? Maybe use that expression. That's my cross to bear. So that a chronic condition is our cross to bear, or a difficult co-worker is a cross to bear. The earliest uh, Christians saw the persecution of their faith. They were being actively persecuted for their faith. They saw that as a cross to to bear. Now, let me just be clear. Followers of Jesus are not called to seek out suffering. Suffering will find you just fine. You do not have to seek it out. But when you are in a tough situation that you cannot get out of, and that's an important phrase there, that you cannot get out of. When you are in a tough situation that you cannot get out of, Christians have historically seen that as a cross to bear. 
a chance to grow closer to Jesus in the midst of suffering, a chance to grow closer to Jesus in the midst of difficulty. Jesus knows what it's like to bear a cross. That is the secondary meaning of what it means to take up your cross. And it's, the, the, it's not the primary meaning, though, because when Jesus first said, take up your cross and follow me, there weren't, again, hundreds of years of Christian theology attached to that statement. At that time and place, what did it mean to take up your cross? It meant you were going to die. That's all it would have meant. Right? The Romans didn't put you on a cross and then after a little while they let you go and you could run free. It meant you were going to die. The early Christians reflected on that and realized that in tough situations that we cannot get out of, that is a cross to bear and it helps us be closer to Jesus in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering. But when Jesus first said, take up your cross and follow me, his point to his original disciples is, you're going to die and then you can follow me. Now, if that makes you scratch your head, you are in good company. The original disciples did not have any idea what he was talking about. Many of you looking at me right now don't have any idea what it, what's being talked about. How in the world am I going to follow you if I've died? This is why the next verse is so important. Verse 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Jesus is still teaching. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus is making clear here that his primary interest in all this is life. That's what Jesus is primarily interested in. He wants you to find life. He wants me to find life. He wants his followers to have life. That's the message of Jesus. You can find life. The good news is that Jesus wants you to have life, real life. And in fact, even better, he's pointing you the right way to go, and he's willing to walk that way with you. Now, you may not like the way that he's pointing, but he's pointing the way, and he's promising to walk it with you. Jesus says if we want to truly live, we have to be willing to die. And if we're not willing to die, we'll never truly live. The only way to save your life is to lose it. Let me unpack this just a little bit, switch, see if I can kind of get, get our minds around this. Most of us operate with a sense of how our lives are going to work. It's like we're in a TV show, and we're the main character, and there's a script. Now, maybe you wrote the script. Maybe you were handed the script by your family or by your culture, but there's a script. You're the main character. It's going to be a blockbuster show. And the script tells you, for instance, what life's going to look like. Here's what success is going to look like. Here's how I'm going to make tough moral choices in my life. Here's how uh, going to be my purpose in life. Here's how I'll find security in life. If I can do these things, I'll prove that my life matters. There's a script, and we follow the script. Jesus is saying if you and I want to live, want to truly live, we have to be willing to nail the script to a cross and let it, let it go. 
And then we can come to Jesus and let Him have control of our lives. And we let Jesus shape our view of success. We let Jesus shape our view of the purpose of our lives. We ask Jesus for the wisdom as we face tough moral choices. We look to Jesus as a source, our source of forgiveness. We look to Jesus as our source of security. We look to Jesus as our source of unshakable identity. Jesus' invitation, take up your cross and follow me, is a grand reversal. Because with Jesus, death is not the end of life. Death is the beginning of life. With Jesus, death is not the end of life. Death is the beginning of life. This is the point at which I feel my brain explode a little bit. I have to try to tape it back together. To Jesus, death is not the end. Death is the beginning. And this principle plays out in a lot of ways. It plays out in big ways and small ways. I'm going to talk about one of the big ways. Big way number one. I started my time on earth as Michael version 1.0. I was driven, witty, had dashingly good looks. I was in charge of my life. I got to control the script of my life. Now, I was by no means perfect, but I did see myself as morally above average, just like everybody else does. At least y'all laughed at that. 930 didn't even laugh at that. 815 loved it, but everybody can't be above average. Okay. But most, if not all, people see themselves as morally above average. As I started to learn more about Jesus, I became discontent with my self-satisfaction. And so somewhere in middle school, with whatever I understood about myself and whatever I understood about God, I prayed a very sincere prayer, and God in His grace received it as faith, received it as me stepping over the starting line of living by faith in Jesus. I don't remember the exact words, but it went something like, God, I don't want to stand before you with my merit, but with Jesus' merit. I don't want to live life my way, I want to live life your way. Now, to me, that felt like a step of faith. The Bible says actually something far more dramatic happened there. The Bible says it was the death of Michael 1.0. It was the death of living life with me in charge so that I could live life with Jesus in charge. It was the death of me trying to reach out to God so that I could live in the security that God had reached out to me through Jesus Christ and would not let go. The death of Michael 1.0, the birth of Michael 2.0. Me now living with Jesus at the center of my life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Trusting our life into Jesus' hands, the Scripture says, is death followed by new life, abundant life, life following Jesus. As, as Jesus transforms us, even sometimes through the crosses that we have to bear. 
And then one day, this plays out to the next level, one day in the future, hopefully really far off in the future, but with how much Taco Bell I eat, it may not be as far in the future as I want it to be. Someday in the future, Michael 2.0 is going to die. And that death will be the beginning of new life, eternal life, life in the presence of my Creator, worshiping God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, doing so with all those Jesus has welcomed into God's family. The God of all creation spoke us into being. He wrapped Himself in humanity. He came to this world as a baby named Jesus. How much must God love you? How much must God love me that He stooped so low to rescue us? Almighty God crying out in the night because He was hungry. Decades later, He would stagger up a hill, a beam of wood across His shoulders. And on the hill that He made, Jesus Christ would die on a cross, a death so brutal, Romans thought it was degrading to even speak about it. How much must God love you? How much must God love me that He would stoop so low to rescue us? The Almighty God crying out in the agony of death. There Jesus died. And death should be the end of the Jesus movement. But if folks had been listening to what Jesus was saying, paying attention, catching where he was going, they would have realized with Jesus, death is not the end. Death is the beginning of the Jesus movement. And so three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead he came back to life. He lives today. He wants you to be truly alive. He wants me to be truly alive. There are so many layers to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and I want to make sure we don't miss an obvious one, which is when we follow Jesus into the grave, we will find new life. Jesus says, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Did yours do that too? I'll just tell you, there it is. When we follow Jesus into the grave, we will find new life. Take up your cross, Jesus says, and follow me. If you want to save your life, you have to be willing to lose it. And this can play out in big ways, as I talked about in, in my own life, giving up control of my life and letting Christ be at the center of my life. It, it, as we come to the end of our lives, that may be something that we fear, and yet it can be a milestone which we walk into with hope. It can also play out in everyday kind of ways. For instance, being willing to die to your need to always be right. When you are willing to let go of that, to die to the need to always be right, then you and I can begin to truly listen to God. Truly listen to what Jesus might have for us. When we crucify our plan for our life, then we can really live walking with Jesus to discover His plan for our life. And though it may not be the life we would have chosen, though it may not be the life we would have chosen, 
we may find God's plans for us are far wilder and far more redemptive than anything we could have ever imagined. The question I want to ask you today as I wrap up my part of the service is in what way, big or small, in what big way and what small way do you need to follow Jesus into the grave and find new life? In what way do you need to follow Jesus into the grave and find new life? For you, it may be that you, version 1.0, needs to go so that you could say it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Giving up control of your life and letting Jesus Christ have the control. It could be that uh, as you think about the end of your own life, you begin to see it through Jesus' eyes. It's not the end, but the beginning. The beginning of something amazing. Or maybe it's a, a, a part of your character. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a decision you're facing. Maybe it's a situation you're going through or part of your own life where you're getting in the way of what God wants to do, or, it's a, or a, you're, trying, you're trying but maybe failing to truly love another person. It is okay to follow Jesus into the grave with your ego. It is okay to follow Jesus into the grave with your need to be right, or with a pattern of behavior you just can't seem to shake. Who knows what life awaits us? As we are willing to come to God, to come to Jesus, not just with the good stuff, not just with the stuff we want to put out on Facebook and Instagram and all the other, but like with all of us, even the parts of us that we don't want to discuss in polite company. Because that's the most interesting part of this whole thing to me. In the end, Jesus redeemed even the cross. A hundred years before Jesus was born, the Romans were saying that the cross was such a vulgarity it should be wiped away. And now, today, people wear crosses around their neck. I did a wedding with a guy yesterday who had a, he had a cross around his neck. I thought, that's so morbid, this is a wedding. Except that Jesus has redeemed the cross. And so now it is a treasured symbol not, not a detested symbol. If Jesus can redeem even the cross, what can He do in your life? If Jesus can redeem even the cross, what can He do in my life? What can He do in the lives of people you love? What can He do in the midst of that situation, in the midst of your character? What can Jesus do if He can even redeem the cross? Well, we're going to have a time of prayer and reflection and uh, communion. Before we do that, join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance uh, in this quiet moment to pray, to talk to God, to listen to God. to reflect on what it means to follow Jesus, even in the hard places.
what it means to follow Jesus by letting up control of version 1.0. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Just take this quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I pray we would be uh, strengthened and reminded of your sacrificial love for us and that the power of the cross would transform us from the inside out. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.